Hey everyone, welcome to another special edition of the Green Room with Neil Griffiths podcast on the Handshake Media Network. Thanks for listening to this episode. For those who may not know, we recorded a a specific podcast back in March. It was actually 18th March to be exact, right before the COVID-19 pandemic really took effect in Australia. And I was joined by a bunch of people within the Australian music industry, businesses, companies, songwriters, about the, the pandemic and the impact it could have uh, on the industry. Now, almost 10 weeks on, I sit down again with a, with a bunch of these people to discuss where we're at 10 weeks on from the pandemic taking over. We've seen a lot of, of different issues be launched to help the, the industry survive, including streaming festivals, uh, live stream gigs. Of course, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen drive-in cinema shows starting to take effect. So I spoke with a number of people who appeared on that first podcast as well as some new names to talk about where they're at in their own individual careers and uh, the Australian music industry as a whole. So on this episode, I'm joined by Melbourne artist Alex Leahy, CEO of Select Music, Stephen Wade, Catherine Harrity, who's the Executive Director of Association of Artist Managers, Shadow Minister for the Arts, Tony Burke, Support Act CEO, Clive Miller, Thrill Hill Music's Chris O'Hearn, Brian Smash Clardill, who is the CEO of Australia's largest independent ticketing company, Austix, and Mick Thomas, of course, front man of weddings, parties, anything, and part owner of the Yarra Hotel in Abbotsford, Victoria. So let's get straight into it. Let's start with Kath Harrity of the Association of Artist Managers. Kath, almost 10 weeks on since the pandemic really shut down Australia and the local music industry. What's been your biggest takeaway about this pandemic? Well, I think it's pretty incredible when you think about the the fact that when we spoke, it was actually only eight weeks ago. Mm. It feels like we've lived a million lifetimes in that eight weeks. Um, it's been a roller coaster of um, emotions, and uh, I think there's been you know so many challenges that have been uh, brought brought up by this crisis that we've had to face, and a lot of problem solving. And also just understanding that there's a lot of unknowns uh, that we have had to face and are still facing and that there is, to a degree, got to be an acceptance that there's a lot of things we can't control and we can't plan for and that we have to just be open-minded and just sit back and wait and see how a lot of this rolls Um and with any luck, we'll be able to see, you know, our, our world um, with a different, um, a different way of operating, a different point of view, and the opportunity that we've had to look at this and reset ourselves, um, both um, individually as professionals within the music industry, but also the music industry at large. Let's jump to Stephen at Select Music. Stephen, you had a, a couple of strong comments to make about this pandemic and the government's response to it. What has been your reaction 10 weeks on? Well, you know, now that the dust has settled, I mean, to see a whole kind of industry sector kind of wiped out um, has been very emotionally distressing at times and obviously most of the people that I deal with in my day-to-day are all people that make their living out of out of this industry. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of mixed emotions, you know. Um, I know a lot of the people that I've spoken to, and myself included, that, you know, the hardest kind of element is 
to go from a very, you know, high-structured kind of routine of, of daily kind of questions and answers and, you know, making things happen and doing all that kind of stuff and working at a very high pace um, to, to literally nothing, you know. So I've likened it to, you know, I say to my friends that aren't in the industry, I used to drive a car at 120 kilometres an hour with the windows open and now I drive exactly the same car at 10 kilometres an hour with the windows up. All right, Alex Leahy, Melbourne songwriter. Um, Alex, you've obviously been involved with a lot of these um, live streaming gigs, things like Isolated and, of course, Delivered Live. When the pandemic first took over, you had a bunch of shows overseas that were forced to be cancelled. What's been your biggest takeaway about the pandemic and how it specifically affected your career? I think just, you know, the quote-unquote returning to normalcy like sort of thing is something that we want to see more of. Um, you know, all being said, you are right. Like we are doing a lot better than other parts of the world in managing the situation, which is great and fills me with a lot of hope. However, given like the global nature of, um, you know, the music industry and touring, et cetera, uh, it's going to feel like a lot longer before it is truly back to, you know, where we would like it to be. Um, but I think just, uh, I suppose just like a confidence is something that I want to continue seeing and a patience as well. Um, but it's hard to have that sort of patience when we're not get when, you know, everyone isn't getting the sort of benefits that they need from the government in order to, I suppose, remain calm. Mm. Um, but that being said, I think that largely I feel pretty positive about where things are heading. Um, I do think that it's going, that we're going to be turning corners more and more as time goes on. Um, and even for myself, like in the last eight weeks, you know, I feel like being in Victoria at the moment now, my job kind of looks very similar to what it does when I'm not on tour anyway. Mm. Um, so, you know, that to me is quite heartening. Let's go to Shadow Minister for the Arts, Tony Burke. Tony has really been an unsung hero for the Australian music industry uh, and the fight to to support artists and workers throughout this coronavirus outbreak. Tony, what are your thoughts 10 weeks on? I'm surprised how naive I was, i got to say, because I was convinced the government would come forward with a package for the sector, absolutely convinced. Um, the moment they announced uh, no gatherings more than 500 outdoors, no gatherings more than 100 indoors, it was a decision to shut down venues and festivals. And at this stage, the international borders were still open. Yeah, it was very much live performance was the target of what was what was going to go what was going to be shut down not because it wasn't commercially viable but because there was a government decision made for good reasons but a government decision that said they couldn't go ahead um and i was completely convinced that in that context we would get a package for the sector um we're now as you say eight weeks on and they haven't just done nothing They've brought in a wage subsidy, which we called for, which is a good thing, and they've basically designed it in a way that there is a fence around every artist um, to to prevent them getting in and for many of the technical and support workers. So uh, not for all. If, if you're a support worker who's been attached long-term to a specific venue, then you may well be eligible for JobKeeper. But for everybody who works gig to gig, who's a casual, who's a freelancer, um, uh, they have found a system 
that's designed for almost every other section of the economy. Um, but for this section of the economy, which you know, across all of arts and entertainment, it's worth $111 billion a year to the economy. Uh, they've been deliberately shut out. I mentioned before, Tony, kind of being an unsung hero for the local music industry uh, throughout this outbreak. Tony, a couple of weeks ago, you, you did a really passionate speech in Parliament basically saying that arts workers and musicians need to be supported because they aren't celebrities, they're workers. Currently, there are some who are covered by the JobKeeper scheme, but there are many who aren't. How are those conversations progressing with government now? Look, I, I asked a question in question time directly to Josh Frydenberg and uh, Susan Templeman, uh, who's a Sydney member from out Blue Mountains Way. Um, she asked a question referring to a specific uh, worker in the industry from her electorate um, named Scott, who um, I forget if he was lighting or sound, but she, she asked about his situation. Josh Frydenberg answered both without referring to the arts and entertainment sector, right. um, even though that's what they were about. So, um, yeah, there's to some extent that they might be a little bit embarrassed about it, but um, at the moment they're, they're sticking to their guns and saying they won't do it. Now, one of the strengths that we've got and one of the reasons why I don't think we should give up um, is that the legislation was designed in an unusual way. So normally when Ledge goes through the parliament, every rule gets debated and there's amendments back and forth. This time what went through was basically a shell and the shell gave permission for the treasurer to do whatever rules he wanted in the middle. Uh, so he can change those rules at any time with the stroke of a pen. Uh, we don't have to wait for parliamentary sittings. We don't have to wait for it to be on the agenda. If we keep forcing the issue, uh, then I've got to say there's there's got to be a chance that they'll do this. But, yeah, normally I've I've spoken about music in terms of being, you know, the soundtrack to our lives in Australia and what it means for us culturally. Right at the moment, we just have to get right back to core principles. This is not a hobby, it's a job. Clive Miller is the CEO of Support Act, a non-for-profit music charity. These guys have really been important in the mental health and well-being of musicians and arts workers throughout this pandemic. They launched the COVID-19 emergency appeal a couple of weeks ago, which has raised over a million dollars, a really incredible effort. And in the last month, they actually announced that it's well-being hotline, which was actually launched in 2018, a 24-hour service to offer expertise in all areas of mental health to members of the Australian music industry. It's actually expanded now beyond that to incorporate all artists and arts workers in Australia. Clive, tell us a bit about that. Some of that money will, or a large percentage of that money, will go towards providing crisis relief uh, to artists, crew and music workers um, who are suffering financial hardship uh, as a result of the pandemic. But uh, clearly uh, looking after people's mental health is really important. And um, in those initial discussions um, and briefings that took place with government, um, we had always said that um, uh, if, if they provided us with um, some financial support, that we would really like to extend uh, access to the helpline to the entire art sector because, uh, you know, clearly I think the issues that uh, people, that arts workers um, uh, face uh, across all of the different art forms are very similar and uh, the Mental Health, the Support Act uh, Wellbeing Helpline is a great service. And so uh, we wanted to make that 
available to everybody. And um, as of today, uh, we are able to do that. Let's take a look at the touring aspect of the Australian music industry. Chris O'Hearn from Thrill Hill Music, I think, had one of the quotes of the first podcast when he said he would rather a, a swift kick in the nuts than a long castration as far as locking Australia down and um, making some progress with where we're at with COVID. And obviously, we're still not out of the, out of the woods yet, but Australia is in a fairly good position compared to other countries in relation to the COVID pandemic. Chris... On the touring side of things, we know that international touring probably won't be a realistic option till 2021. Do you think that metaphor about the, the swift kick in the nuts um, has put Australia in good stead moving forward? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think there's some opportunities down the track as well. I mean, clearly, um, you know, once the, uh, the federal government and therefore the state government start opening up borders, and um, I, I read this morning somewhere that Alan Joyce, who obviously runs Qantas, is thinking that if that happens and the borders, you know, are opened up, then he could probably have, you know, I think I think that the, the number he used was probably 50% of Qantas's domestic routes open back up in July. Um, that's good news. Um, um, uh, it can't happen overnight. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm optimistic. I think um, uh, international travel will be down the track but again i think that opens up opportunities for australian artists um to fill in into festival slots that may have only that may have otherwise gone to international artists um so i think there are opportunities there i think we have to be optimistic across the board because if you don't um i mean you have to keep a sense of humor um we're australian for a lot of for god's sakes and that's kind of part of what we do um we have to keep a sense of humor um but we also have to be realistic about the situation as well. And I think that everybody that I've spoken to in the business is, is done that. Um, um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. I'm excited for what the Australian music industry and well, business actually will look like post COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. and whether we like it or not, um, there will be a post you know, there'll be a, it'll be a time before that happens. But I think that when we come out of this, um, I think a lot of people would have learned a lot about their businesses. They would have learned a lot about themselves. They would learn a lot about their artists and the people they work with. And I think that's entirely a really good thing. Mick Thomas has a, a very unique perspective on this pandemic on the industry because not only is he an Australian songwriter, he's part owner of the Yarra Hotel in Abbotsford, Victoria. Mick, can you tell us about how this outbreak has impacted your career both as an artist and venue owner? The whole I lost my gig um, yeah, program that they started just to sort of notify the community in general has been really useful and it's, it's, it's kind of meant that there's this just a level of conscientiousness um, at a kind of at a punter level mm. that's been really, really um, quite touching and overwhelming, you know. So every time I've, you know, I've done a... I've done sort of three three um, sort of streaming shows where people have had the opportunity to pay money and they sure have done it. The venue side of it, it's a fucking nightmare, you know. It just is a nightmare of just um, ridiculous sort of, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to use it, Kafkaesque kind of arguments with these frigging landlords and, you know, and then... Every t- and the government, you know, the, their kind of response, it's so, um, it's not that it hasn't been 
generous, but it, it, it's so obviously constructed by people who have never really been in business for themselves, I reckon, you know. So you're not realising that cash flow is really important um, and, you know, just doing things because they sort of sound good. So if they turn around and, you know, we were sort of working through okay with our landlord, you know, tossing ideas around. Then the government just come out with this, oh, you know, we're with their code of conduct. And they said, oh, it's 50% waived, 50% deferred. And, and then our landlord turned around and said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And we said, but that's a lot worse than what you were offering. And, you know, if, if you think of it, if we have to stay out of business for six months and then go back in really restricted circumstances mm. to be paying 150% of rent, that's a, that's a recipe for bankruptcy, you know, basically. Mm. So, I mean, we, we sit there at the moment and go, well, we we basically, you know, um, ironically, the week of the, the lockdown, we had a, a, a business meeting scheduled with our accountant and it was to do the, I, I swear this is true, it was going to, to do the first um, divvy up of money um, that we'd had since opening the venue like 18 months before, so... You know, for for two years' work, we're finally going to say, well, you know, you have this much, you have this much, you you know. And so there's a little bit of money there, but, like, you, you're in a situation where you're going, well, do we keep on trading or trying to trade and, you know, go through that money that's there? And people go, oh, but what about the 10000 bucks? You know, to the rent assistance thing. Okay, but if if we reopen, that money's pretty much all gone in terms of what we're going to have to do to the venue. We have to go install new wash basins, and you know, probably spend a lot of money on air conditioning and stuff like that to make sure the place is ventilated a bit better than it is now. So that's no no help. And um, basically, and look, I'm not angry at the government on this because I mean they've done what they've had to do, you know. And and I really I really want to make that clear that I'm I'm not. This is not like a a go at them because I think it's logical that bars are the last thing to come back on. And people say, well, why is it that restaurants can come back on but not bars? And you go, well, you know, the nature of a restaurant is you're sitting down, you know, and and they can say, well, this chair's here and this chair's there, and it, you know, in terms of trying to space people you know, physically, it's a lot easier to do if people are sitting down than if they're standing up walking around with <laughs> five pints under their belt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think it's logical what's happening that we might be the last thing to go back. But in terms of that, for the business model, it's it's a bit of, it's a nightmare. You know? It's just there's no other word for it. Jumping back to Stephen from Select Music. Stephen, I mentioned earlier in the first podcast, you had some strong comments to make about government and the support or lack of support that you think the Australian music industry is getting. Has your perspective on that changed since? With government and our sector, we're as much to blame as a sector because we've never been galvanised, we've never been collectively connected And it would be difficult for government to understand how do they reach us, you know. There's thousands of businesses tied to our sector that don't belong anywhere. No one represents them. No one speaks for them. So in a crisis, how do you get a message to that kind of collective? Mm. You know what I mean? So for government, if you're going to them and saying, okay, how do we get back on our feet, 
we have to know what we want as an industry to be able to ask government to help us make that happen. So that's the biggest change, I suppose, that I've learned over this period of time. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, I've talked to so many really good, passionate people that are all bonded by the same thing, that we want our industry to be back on track and heading in the right direction. So, you know, I, I, that initial kind of first three weeks were horrific. You know, they're absolutely horrific because uh, of the confusion and, and just the lack of, um, I suppose, information to know what would happen next. What I feel now is that we've gone through that stage. It's kind of like a stage of grief, you know. We've kind of rallied and now lots of really intelligent, successful, prominent business people are all sitting around the table going, okay, how do we get out of this? Like, we've got to get ourselves out of this. Brian Smash Clardell is the CEO of Australia's largest independent ticketing company, Oztix. Without any shows happening in Australia, there are no tickets being sold. Smash, I know you're a big advocate for the industry working with government to find solutions, to find a way out of this. Uh, what's your take on what's going on right now? A case we've been trying to build to take to government is that, you know, it's the mid-tier of the business that fuel the business. Like, without the mid-tier, there is no top end of town. It's mm. like... It's the venues like the zoo and the venues like the corner and the venues like, you know, Oxford Arts and the venues like the Gov in Adelaide. They're the engine room of the business. They're the engine room of, of creativity and building artists up so they become big artists and then they become big national artists and then they become international artists. And, you know, that that's the they're the sort of fuel for the fire and they're the ones that need help and protection, you know. Sorry. The stadiums, they don't need help, you know. They, you know, they're owned by multinational companies who've got very deep pockets, you know. They're in the same boat. I mean, you know, they, they're going to get mortgage relief, you know, so loan relief. So so where the help that needs to go, I think the big message for from us coming from my clients and the people I'm trying to talk to and get together as a group is, you know, let's help the little venues, let's help the artists stay alive let's create some programs and funding and projects and grants that fuel the artists you know fuel the little venues so they can stay alive so when business comes back to normal they're still there let's go back to kath from the association of artist managers kath i know that you also have a a strong opinion on the idea of building a round table or some sort of industry representative for the music industry when dealing with government what's your take i don't think we are in a position to be able to forward plan meaningfully yet. I think that there are too many variables. We're not quite sure whether the three stages of, um, of, you know, government-based recovery are actually going to be successful in the way that we think they will or hope they will. Um, And we don't know whether we're going to have a, a second wave of COVID-19 sweep through the community and what that then means for us and whether that will impact on us in, in terms of having to go to, into further lockdown. We don't know um, whether, you know, the, the, the community at large is going to feel comfortable with going to live shows um, for, for when they actually do relaunch, uh, whether they be 
small small live shows or slightly bigger live shows. And then there's that bigger question, obviously, of um, the music industry at large, as you pointed out, and, and obviously Stephen Wade has mentioned. Uh, we have had a really, really good coalition of uh, of music industry sector orgs and peak bodies that have come together through this time to work together and try and find solutions and also advocate for our industry with both state and federal government. And I kind of feel that, as Stephen Wade does, that it would be good to formalise that in some way and it would be amazing to have a peak music industry body that actually represents the broader industry at large um, and that it remains to be seen whether that will happen, but it would be great a great thing for our, for our sector. I rounded out the first podcast back in March, I guess trying to keep a positive outlook on, on things and, and where we'll be at. So again, I've asked every guest on, on the podcast to, to give me an insight and in, in their perspective and hopes of, of where the industry will be in the next six to 12 months. Let's start with Alex Leahy. I think that they definitely will not be become a substitute for live performance and live music. I think more than anything, it will get artists more geared up to perhaps have better content and assets going into release cycles maybe, um, which is cool and um, is perhaps more enjoyable for, an, uh, you know, as an artist as well. Like sometimes um, you look back on certain press things that you've done in, you know, an album cycle and it's a little bit cringe because the quality isn't quite as you would have intended um but now i think like maybe artists and and people around artists are a bit more skilled and knowledgeable in knowing how to get a better quality content out of you know phones and computers and that sort of thing mm. um but i but i've had that question asked to me before you know do i think that live streaming is going to you know sort of um surpass live concerts or anything like that and my answers are hard no <laughs> i just don't think that that's like you know um there's something so human and primal about live music. Um, you know, enjoying live music with other people is something that's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And I just don't think that, you know, having to pivot slightly due to a pandemic that is going to end um, is going to change the face of, you know, that tradition. Mm. Um, I mean, talk about the word progression. I mean, are things getting better or worse because... To this point, it's only been eight weeks. It feels like way longer than that. Um, the government is yet to really get behind arts and music. Um, you know, there's talk that international touring won't be a thing till at least early next year. How long do you think we can kind of keep going? I mean, obviously, Australia in particular has done really well and the local industry is finding ways to kind of bounce back and do what we can. But how much longer do you think we can go before it's like, okay, we really desperately need assistance here i think this i i think that we're past that to be honest like i think that um you know we talk about supporting the arts like during this time but the fact is is that the fallout afterwards is going to be really big as well and like that alone means that the support needs to start now i think that um you know i mean i think the biggest thing during the last eight weeks that has sort of assisted artists um and, you know, our colleagues is the job seeker, job keeper payments coming through, but that's not really targeted to our sector. It just mm -hmm. so happens that most of us are eligible for that benefit. Um, and some of us aren't, but but luckily, like, a lot of us are. Um, 
but I think like yeah, there needs to be more sort of um, sector specific um, support from governments. You know, artists and crew members pay taxes like everyone else, and I would anticipate that you know we should be receiving similar benefits to other sectors that have been receiving them as well. Um, it does send the message that the arts is somewhat undervalued um, and we can't afford to be doing that as a community and society. Climate Support Act, do you think the Australian industry is well-placed to bounce back from this? Yeah, well, look, I, um, I think so. I mean, I think the Australian music industry, at least from my perspective, um, is uh, well-placed. We have, uh, you know, we have a strong industry. We have uh, great talent. Um, I've been just reading in in the music press, as I'm sure everybody else has, um, in the last couple of weeks. When you you know just see um, the impact that uh, Australian artists are having internationally, you can see what uh, great talent we have here. And of course, behind the great talent is great management and great record companies and great uh, booking agents and uh, great crew and all of the people that go to to make up the industry. So you know, I think. In that um, respect, it's uh, you know we're we're um, we're in good shape, and I think the way we're responding is uh, very positive. And I guess, uh, look, I just have absolute faith in um, in as you say, everybody's uh, resilience and ability to uh, bounce back and um, and to and to be stronger than hopefully um, where we've come from. And uh, for Support Act. Uh, I guess the way we're approaching that, particularly from a mental health uh, perspective, is um, we want to make sure that uh, as far as uh, people's uh, mental health and well-being, and perhaps some of the practices that uh, we would like to see all workplaces adopt across the industry, um, we ha- we think that uh, there's an opportunity over the next few months to be able to really encourage people to think about things like, well, what's touring going to look like? You know, when everybody gets back to touring, and can we really incorporate? Um, self-care um, and better ways of, of kind of looking after ourselves um, into the way that we now sort of organise tours going forward. So from our point of view, we're hoping to develop uh, some additional um, education and training materials that uh, people might use that might make that uh, easier to achieve. And I guess we feel that if that's one of the outcomes from all of this, then that's going to be really positive and uh, and hopefully contribute uh, to uh, the um, you know to the bounce back of the industry and 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 to it being in in some ways, a better place than maybe it was before. Chris, I heard at Thrill Hill, we mentioned before that international touring probably won't be happening until 2021, which is an, an opportune time to shine the light on Australian artists. What do you hope to see in the next six to 12 months? I mean, I personally would love to see something like Home Bay come back. Mm. You know, I really would, because for me, that would be, particularly for Sydney, would just be this sort of, you know, in January, this like, hey, you know what? Fuck it, we're back. We are fucking back. And that for me, you know, and I hope Joe said hears this because I love it. I would love Home Bay to come back. I think that would be a a, a, a big fuck you on on top of COVID-19 and go, you know what, you, you tried to fuck us over, but here we, are. here we are and we are back. We're stronger, we're better, and we'll continue to go forward. So for me, yeah, um, that would be... Uh, 
that would be a great way to start the perfect COVID nineteen world. I think have have home back home back come back. Finally, Tony Burke. Obviously, you're doing a lot of of hard yards for the industry in Parliament and with government. What is going to be the moment where the Australian music industry and as a sector can kind of look back and say, we got through this. What will that moment look like? I want that moment where the summer festivals are all on. Like, that's the moment that I want. And we'll have this unusual situation where, because the international borders will still be up, the whole run of summer festivals will probably be almost ex- exclusively, unless someone happens to already be here, um, Australian and New Zealand talent. I think that's where we'll be. Maybe some talent from the Pacific Islands as well if, if it's been broadened out to there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's highly unlikely that some of the other countries that have dominated a lot of those festivals um, will will be able to send acts here. Um, some might, they might find a way, but I think it's less likely. So what I would love is if during this time we get to the point soon where a whole lot of recording of new materials are able to happen and I would just love to see that burst of live content with new music being available that takes us through the whole of summer. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Green Room with Neil Griffiths podcast on the Handshake Media Network. And a big thank you to all of the guests who appeared on this follow-up COVID special. Big shout-out to Alex Leahy, Stephen Wade, Kath Harrity, Tony Burke, Clive Miller, Chris O'Hearn, Brian Clardill, and, of course, Mick Thomas. We are definitely in a better position than we were 10 weeks ago. It certainly isn't over. Now more than ever, Australian artists need you. Get behind them, buy their merch, listen to their music, support uh, streaming gigs like Isolate, Delivered Live, and of course Support Act to again have their COVID-19 emergency appeal. Donate where you can to Support Act. Go to supportact.org.au and uh, support the industry however you can. I said in the first podcast, and I'll say it again, it's going to take a lot of work to get through this, but together we will get through it. Support your artists, support the industry, and thank you for listening.